I love how the industry now has changed with these younger planners. Some planners don't even manage money. I've met some here that they're just straight planners. I'm like, that's, that's awesome. You know, they, because it, it just opens up such a wide range of people you can work with. I'm Ian Hawry from New York City, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. In this episode, Alexandria sits down with Luis Rosa at FBA Next Gen Gathering 2019. Luis is passionate about mentorship in the financial planning community, and in this episode, he explores how he's learning from next-gen planners and how he gives back to the profession. Up next, you'll learn ways you can develop yourself as a financial planner and explore changes within the profession that will have dramatic effects over the next several years. So thank you so much, Luis, for coming on today. We are here at in New Orleans at Next Gen Gathering, and you are one of our ambassadors here this year. So I just wanna kinda thank you for coming and being a part of this experience. Um, and just, yeah, thank you for being on with us today. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I just wanna jump right in because I know time is valuable and wanna get back to the conference, but I want people who don't read your LinkedIn to know who is Louise. Um, what, what makes you the guy that you are today or the man that you are today? That's a very good question. <laughs> One that I'm still trying to find out myself. That's good, I say. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a little bit of a backstory on me. So I was born in Dominican Republic. Okay. And that's a small little island in the Caribbean. A little fun fact, I believe it's one of a kind where it's one island that shares two nations. So it's Haiti and Dominican Republic on the yeah. same island. Okay. And I moved to New York when I was 11 with my family. So I speak Spanish as my first language. I had to learn English and all that stuff. And went to school in New York and lived there for 25 years. Now I'm in Las Vegas. Okay. And I became a financial planner, not by choice. It, I didn't even know that the financial planning path was available as a career. I didn't even know what a planner was. Mm -hmm. But I met someone at the time when I was working at, in a mailroom in college and uh, she introduced me to a CFP right before I was about to graduate. And I met with him and he was kind of starting to grow his business and say, hey, if you want to work for me part-time. So I started like sitting in client meetings and stuff. And it actually took me a little bit of, of a while to figure out what a planner did. Yeah. It was such a broad range of things. You know, mm -hmm. But what I got from it was that you're a problem solver, right? And, and that's who I am. Okay. Going back to your question is, I, I look at things from what can we do to solve whatever the issue is that a person has, right? And, and kind of like that's how I, I run my business. It's basically looking at it from what answer do you provide to a specific question, right? So like what problem do you solve? Yeah. So that's, that's what I feel like I am. I want to go back to something you said of how you kind of stumbled upon the profession or I didn't know what financial planning was till you had a friend that connected you to somebody right. else. And um, I wanted to kind of hear a little bit more about that. So you were in college and you just were talking over the water cooler at the bell <laughs> and, and they were like, oh, you should talk to a financial planner. What were you studying in college prior to that? Was that actually in line with even being a financial planner or was it totally something different? I guess somewhat, I was, in school for economics. So I was just about to graduate, and so I was heavily looking into jobs at that point. And that's when I spoke to the person that worked at the law firm. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, I know somebody that works in finance, yeah. and that might be related to what you're doing. 
at that point, I was just looking for any job, like yeah. nothing specific. I just needed to get paid and of course. start paying student loans back. <laughs> yeah, you're like, hey, this is a job that pays. Right. <laughs> I totally understand. So what was your first impression once yeah. you started working? It there? was, yeah, what you said, it was kind of like all combined. What, what is this? So I sat at client meetings, yeah. but every single person had a different issue, yeah. right? And I just, it took me a while to figure out like, I couldn't figure out what a planner was. I, truly, like, it was like, because somebody usually, like an accountant, you know, right? They do numbers, like, yeah. it's specific, right? This was like sitting at client meetings and helping them figure out their life, in a, yeah. in a sense. And I, it took me a while to wrap my head around it. Yeah. But, but I liked it. it and kind of like the, the common theme I saw was that of, okay, you help people get somewhere yeah. from where they are. They tell you their goals. You solve a problem. And I found it super interesting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, I wonder why this wasn't offered as a... A college, college or so, a class or something. Right, a class or anything. And yeah. Man, so not only do you not learn it personally in college, right, it's personal finance, but then it's not also offered as an option of career. So yeah. um, I definitely stumbled upon it, and I'm glad I did because I've been in it ever since, yeah. since, since college. I, that's it. That's the only job I've ever had was being a financial planner. Yeah. And you also kind of mentioned, too, well, you, uh, you're from Dominican Republic, but... Um, maybe kind of provide some insight, like how your family and your upbringing was financial planning even talked about, like uh, in your community, is that even, you know, was that something that you saw, management of money? Like how did that like now get you to the point like, oh yeah, I really want to do this because how I was even brought up, you know, this was there or it wasn't there. Like can you kind of talk yes, about that? Yes, absolutely. It, it's a big driving force. So I come from a big family, six siblings, Wow. Mother and father, grandparents lived with us. Yes. So I was the youngest. So when I, from birth, we lived at least 10 people in the house, right? Yeah. When we moved to New York, we had a one-bedroom apartment. Wow. And no, financial planning was not talked about. <laughs> right? There's some other things. <laughs> we were in survival mode, basically. Yes. So just to give you background, uh, my parents never had a car, never had credit cards, Never had a job that offered a 401k. Never had life insurance. Wow. Nothing. I mean, the most my parents ever had was a savings account, yeah. at most. Whenever they needed to buy something, you just saved up for it. Uh, maybe some of the listeners are not familiar with the concept of layaway. Yeah. But <laughs> when I grew up, you, you, it was kind of like reverse credit, right? Yeah. So you didn't get the instant gratification. You went to a store, you saw something you wanted, like a couch, and yeah. you put a down payment on it. And then every week or whatever, you made payments toward it, but you didn't get the thing, the thing yeah. until you were done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I so understand that. It, it was... It was a blessing in a sense because I learned the hard work and kind of like, all right, well, if you want something, you have to work for it to get it, right? Yeah. So that was the blessing part of it. But then the downside to it was that my parents couldn't really teach me any of it. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, for example, and I had to fill out a FAFSA, my parents don't even know English to this day. Yeah. They couldn't help me out fill out a FAFSA. I had no idea what a FAFSA was. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was just it? like, this is like another language for me. Yeah. And, and so now that is certainly a driver for me because a lot of my peers also come from similar backgrounds where they're the first ones in their families to graduate college and things like that. And, and now they have options that our parents didn't have, yeah. 401ks and all that stuff. And um, it's very common in my, in my culture, for example, like grandparents, you, you never put them in a nursing home. They, they live at home forever, yes. right? But a lot of us are probably not gonna be in a position where we can do that. 
because it's just different times. You know, growing up in the Dominican Republic, yeah, there were 10 of us in the house. Somebody was always around to be able to take care of an elderly yeah. person. So, but now, you know, so things like long-term care insurance, all that kind of stuff, that was never talked about. It was like family was it. Family was life insurance. Family was long-term care. Mm -hmm. Totally. <laughs> right. I, I can't wait. We'll, we'll get to the talk about, I think that this probably shapes a lot of how you work with clients because you've seen different things than maybe a traditional family grows up thinking or what other minority communities see as far as when it comes to relationship with money and how you handle things when it comes from a community and family perspective. Um, but we will definitely talk there. I want to kind of uh, hear a little bit more to your progression to where you are now. So you started with um, this gentleman in the firm and you were kind of sitting in on meetings like where kind of, what happened next? You know, did you get your CFP? Like, did you sit in meetings for several years? Like, what was your kind of next steps after that first yeah, time so working? Yeah, so at the beginning I had mostly administrative role. So I was making appointments, running the calendar, all that stuff, sitting in meetings, taking notes, doing the follow-up stuff, and all the paperwork, yeah. applications. Then slowly, yes, the first thing I got was a Series 6 and the 63, I think it was, right? So just to sell mutual funds or whatever. Since I was talking to clients, as I got more comfortable, then eventually Series 7. Then I got the 66. And also I became an IRS enrolled agent. Oh, okay. Because where I worked, we used to do our clients' taxes as well. So it's kind of like a little bit of a one-stop shop. So we did financial planning, investment management, tax preparation. And then I got my CFP in 2016, which was kind of late because I started in 01. Wow. So I had the experience for quite a bit, yeah. but it was something that I had as a goal for like far out into the future for some reason. But then uh, I realized that having the 66, for example, was like the bare minimum mm -hmm. in the business, right? So it was like, what is your differentiator? It's like, all right, everybody has this license. <laughs> to yeah. So it's like, how are you different, right? Mm -hmm. So the process of becoming a CFP was very educational for me. That class and, and studying for the exams. Yeah. I became a better planner just by going through it. Mm. Absolutely. And then now that I have it and combined with the enrolled agent as well, yeah. it's very powerful. So I can offer a lot of things to my clients because I, sometimes people don't realize how one thing leads to the other, like when you're advising somebody about rolling things over and things like that, you know, th there's some tax component to it, yeah. right? And a lot of us say like, oh, we don't give tax advice, but to some extent we do, right? So that's why I made sure I, I was okay. licensed at least in us yeah. so that I can talk about it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> With confidence. I, I do want to touch a little bit on the role agent because uh, right now I think in the profession it's been, all right, get your CFP um, as maybe the standard and then after that, designations and your expertise, but it actually sounds like you started the enrolled agent right after you're kind of selling mutual funds and um, being a pair planner of sorts, operational in right. the firm you were at. So were you preparing taxes for people, for yes. clients? So you guys were like offering multiple services outside of just financial services. Yes, correct. We were doing tax preparation as well. Okay. And, and actually, now that you mention it, I also got my mortgage license when I was working there wow. in New York. So it was, yeah, New York and Florida. So we were doing really like a one-stop shop. We did taxes, investments, financial planning, oh my gosh. mortgages. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were, you were all year long, you're doing something. That's right. awesome, though. That's right. really awesome. Um, I know a lot of people are like, after they're done with their CFP, like, oh, maybe a lot of people are dabbing into enrolled agent. Like, is that 
um, something that they should do? Is that a good way to go about it? Some people, not even to prepare taxes, but to allow, like you saying, that kind of extra step to understanding the tax planning behind it. Because um, you do get a basic level of knowledge oh, in the CSP yes. with tax, but the enrolled agent just takes it to the next level. But it was it actually helped you become very specific and experienced in that area prior to even seeing CFP material, right. um, which that made you different right there without even right. having the CFP. So I can only imagine the client experience that people had. Definitely. I, I think it's a good niche. So even if you don't want to prepare taxes, having the enrolled agent is super helpful. So I, I meet a lot of planners that work with retirees, for example, and they're talking about Roth conversions and all kinds of stuff that will impact their taxes. Yeah. So if you're able to talk to their CPA and, and you have an EA certification, the, the enrolled agent certification is the highest credential the IRS awards. So you can actually represent people before the IRS, mm -hmm. not that you would want to necessarily, right? Yeah. But just to give you the, the idea of how powerful that, it carries a lot of weight. Yeah. So when you're talking to somebody about their finances and how taxes impact those plans that you have forward, and, it's amazing what you can do and the level of respect you get also from other professionals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So everyone listening out there, research it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, you said you were in the industry for a really long or professional for a really long time before you actually went and got your CFP. Once you had your CFP, like, were you like now the senior planner? Like when did you transition into the space you are now? Like have that look. So, yeah. So when I became, a C so let me backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Be Leading up to being a CFP, I, I was already itching for it, right? Yeah. And I feel like, well, I've been in the business for 14, 15 years at the time. And I was like, this is long overdue. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> That's all right. We got our, everyone has their own paths. <laughs> yeah. So I was a late bloomer in that one. But so what I did was I moved to Las Vegas from New York. Mm -hmm. And I also, at the same time, pretty much broke off my relationship with the CFP that I was working for. So I took that as my my go-ahead to then just go on my own mm -hmm. and create my own company, which is then why I said, you know, I, I definitely got to get the CFP certification. So I did that. So I'm a solo shop in a sense, yeah. right? Solo planner. So I work for a company that I, I do have a back office and compliance, but in essence, my own company is me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a solopreneur, as they say. <laughs> yeah, hello. Uh, and your firm is called Build a Better Financial Future. That's right. How, how did you come up with that name? Because that's like, it's like actionable. Like, it's not necessarily like you didn't come up with Rosa Financial. Like, you know, like, what, right. so how did you get to that name? Yeah, so, you know, I was looking at a lot of firms out there. It's like such and such advisors or such and such wealth, right? Yeah. But I don't know that people can identify with that necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, I want to have a name that immediately, just by looking at the name of my company, you know exactly what I do. Yeah. Or at least have a really good idea. Yeah. So I was like, well, I help, I help people build better financial futures. Yeah. So. <laughs> that makes you go, okay, let me ask more of that person. Right. When it's like an advisor or something or, or manager or something, you're kind of like, of what? Like, you know? Right. <laughs> and it's supposed to draw you in. And that's definitely what I feel like when I read it. I was like, wow, that's yeah, a very unique name. Some people don't have wealth to manage yet. They just graduated, they have student loans, but they're making good enough money where they could afford to pay a planning fee, for example, right? Yeah. But they're, they're not wealthy. Yeah. So, you know, to be Rosa Wealth Management might not be attractive to an individual like that. <laughs> I totally understand. So I, I want to kind of transition this because it seems kind of where we're going to kind of hearing more about your firm and what you do now. So now you're your own boss and, and, and you are doing the financial planning for your clients. 
Um, and I want to see who makes up your clients. Who do you work with in, in your firm? Very good question. It's still a very wide range yeah. of clients. I, I don't have a target market. I think that the industry is somewhat, it's headed towards that way in a sense, not necessarily a niche, like, oh, I work with doctors per se, right? Yeah. But I feel like you, you should have a, a certain set of qualities that look, you look for in a client, right? Because it's a two-way relationship. Yeah. The clients choose you, but you get to choose your client as well. So I'm doing a little bit of soul searching on that. But right now, it's very wide range. And I have like a 28-year-old saving in a Roth, and I have the 55-year-old retiree as well. Like, it's yeah. super wide. And I love working with them all. So I haven't made up my mind. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. I mean, well, that says something, though, too, that, you know, even though you have this wide uh, range of clients, that your firm can even sustain being able to work with different demographics and different generational of clients. Not everybody can do that. Um, at least profitably, right? Because I, I I've been on your website and was curious. It's like, oh, there's packages. Like it's very like transparent, you know. Right. Yes. So very it can. So it, it it leaves it up to the client to go. Yeah, that's a fit for me before they even talk to you. So how do you work with people? Maybe more monetarily, or how do you get them so you're able to work with the young person and the older person financially? and still pursue their goals. Right, yeah, that's a very good point that you bring out. So I, I did the website very intentionally where I wanted to be super clear on my pricing yeah. and fees and everything so that if you do reach out to me, you've already looked at that and know mm -hmm. what I charge and how I work, right? So it's not like a pricing is gonna be an issue and I'm not gonna waste a half hour talking to you and then I tell you what I charge. So I noticed a lot of people, for some reason, don't put their fees on their website. And I'm like, you know what? It's going to come out at some point. So <laughs> They're going to know. They're going to know, right? So just be upfront about it. It is what it is. If they can yeah. afford it, then they won't reach out, right? Yeah. So what I do is, like you said, I do have different packages because I wanted to allow to, to I wanted to work with younger professionals mm -hmm. that don't necessarily have a lot of money to invest. But what I noticed was, let's say I met somebody that graduated law school and they, they owed 200000 in student loans, mm -hmm. but they're making six figures. They don't have any money yet, yeah. but they have enough money where I can work with them in terms of, right, how are we going to get rid of these loans? And, oh, yeah, I want to buy a house in two years. My wife is pregnant. All this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then they could afford to pay planning fees. So I work with people. They don't have to invest money with me. I could just charge them a planning fee. I start about 1500 on the simpler plans, and yeah. it goes up from there. I also have what I call a booster package. I notice a lot of people don't need all this fancy planning yet either. Yeah. Especially if you're just graduated, you probably don't need to worry about retirement just yet or, or you're not thinking about that, right? Yeah. So I don't need to give you retirement projections when you're 22. <laughs> so the booster package is kind of like addressing your most pressing questions right now. We'll do a budget, so cash flow is gonna be king. Yeah. We'll look at your 401k options at your job, for example, do a life insurance analysis, and then if you have any debt, We'll structure a plan on how to best get rid of that, and that's pr pretty much it. It was like, all right, let's let's get my cat, let's get my house in order, yeah. And then we'll worry about the fancy stuff later, right? Yeah. Filling up the, the different retirement buckets and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it works. So um, you don't need to have money to invest with me. Ideally, I'll do both for people where when they are ready to start investing, then they they could invest money with them, but they don't have to. 
as long as they're paying a planning fee. And that's pretty much how I operate. And some people just invest in me and you know, they don't have necessarily a need for planning. Yeah. Some people are retired already and they're just like, hey, here's my money. I just want you to take care of it and yeah. that's it, I'm good. <laughs> sure. So yeah, so it, it allows for working with the various different kinds of people. Are you still uh, doing taxes for people too? Or? Yes. Okay. I am still, <laughs> which I, I'm thinking soon I have to cut it off at some point because it, like last year I did 148 tax returns. Wow. So that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it for is. For one person. Yeah. And then to still manage the, the assets and the planning, right? So, yeah. but the one thing I realized was that a lot of those tax clients are not financial planning or investment clients. I just have like a ton of own tax only clients. Yeah. So I might at some point just kind of like, hey, you know what? I'm going to stop doing returns for people who only do taxes once a year yeah. and maybe just cut it off and, and do like a package deal. Like, all right, if you invest money with me or you're a planning client, I can do your taxes for you. Yeah. And that's it. That, that might have to be the way to go for me. Well, I mean, that sounds like an added value for the client that they could, oh, I can be a client and get my taxes. Like it's just an added value. And it also sounds like a great way to get clients in the door. I mean, yes, especially exactly. for, I mean, you're not a new planner, but a new planner who is starting out in the business, if they have some type of expertise or they're able to provide this added value, they could get them in. And I mean, it's unfortunate in this situation, but it's like financial planning is not yet required, but taxes are every right. year. So it's not shocking that you got all these tax people because they need that every year, but it's actually a nice way to be like, hey, this is how I'm now working in my firm to transition you from being tax specific to I want to see how the overall picture is for you and I want to right. start helping you on a deeper level besides just the tax plan Absolutely. that we're doing. Yeah, you bring up a great point. If anybody out there that's just getting started, yeah. getting the EA is a great thing. If you want to grow your client base, you could start doing taxes. Yeah. Like you said, they're going to need taxes no matter what. Yeah. Whether they have money to invest or not, they're going to need their taxes. So it's a, yeah. it's a great revenue stream and then eventually, yeah, they might be ready to start investing or, or planning. Yeah. So a great way to... For sure, get your business out there. Of course. So, and in your current firm currently, is it just you? Do you have some, you said a little bit of support staff? Like how many people make up your firm and, you know? So my firm, I work for a company called Retirement Wealth Advisors based out of Grand Rapids. Okay. And what they do is, so they're an RIA and I'm an IAR. Yeah, hey, got all the acronyms. <laughs> right, all the acronyms, right? Uh, so independent advisor representative, right? But. What they allow you to do is to have your own DBA, right? Doing business as. So I'm Build a Better Financial Future. I have my own website, my own email, everything. But I'm still an IAR of the RIA. Okay. But I don't have to brand RWA stuff, basically. So yeah. it's kind of like a hybrid in a sense. So I feel like I have my own company, mm -hmm. right? So Build a Better Financial Future itself is not an RIA. Mm -hmm. I'm the, the advisor for RWA. So. But, but I like it that way because I don't have to wear so many hats. They have a back office support, compliance. They have a planning team as well. Yeah. So uh, they help me with the plans as well too. So I, I'm able to scale it because I can have a team of planners working on something as opposed to just me doing it all. Yeah, that is a big point because I know a lot of people starting into the business or they start their own business and they don't have that support. So they're being the business owner, they're doing the operations. Right. Oh, by the way, your compliance and making sure your website's <laughs> in order and building, and he's like, oh my gosh, I thought I just signed up to be a financial planner. I didn't know I was gonna be getting into all that. So it's really unique to you that 
you're like, I see that that could be a hindrance on my ability to help clients. Absolutely. Um, and go, hey, I, I, this is going to help me focus on the clients by having this support and working with someone that can just provide that. And yes. this is not a bad thing, you know, like, and some, I just think sometimes it gets overlooked. Like, it's Absolutely. okay to get help. It's okay to partner with people. It's okay to like, you know, we signed up to be financial planners, so it's not bad if you're not also a business owner right. and also a compliance person. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot to do. I can only imagine, um, especially for a young planner who's starting. Like, starting out, you don't know you want to do all that, um, and it may be just sitting in clients. So I, I kind of want to ask a little bit about this, because you said you, you, you stumbled into the profession. Somebody, you know, at the mailroom told you about a CFP. This is a, an initiative and things that I think our profession is struggling with of getting more minorities involved in the profession. Certainly. Um, kind of what are your takes or things you may be doing currently to help, you know, get that going? Because it's always unique to hear when um, one minority person gets into the profession, how, th how that happened. How can we get more people to go to that same channel, you know, besides the middle room, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> out of all places, right? Yeah, right. Out of all places. It's still hilarious to me. So how do you think that that could happen or what we could be doing differently? I think that the, uh, us, right, the ones that have gotten in already, yeah. we need to identify the next us. Right? Yeah. So I'm looking for the next Luis out there yeah. that I can extend my hand out and, and push. And one of the things I do is that kind of like unofficially mentor where yeah. people that are, uh, for example, in the insurance industry and, and I put that in their ear like, hey, you know, I see that you're helping people with their insurance, but what about the rest of the stuff? Have you ever thought about being a, a full-fledged planner and then talk about the benefits of being a CFP? So I feel like if each one of us, and you know, and that's kind of slow, right? Because it's like yeah. one at a time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's grassroots. But, it's a very grassroots right. Effort. That that's my personal approach to it. Um, I think that these the work that organizations like FPA and the CAP board are doing just to to bring more awareness. Yeah. yeah when I look at the numbers, three point five percent for blacks and Hispanics. And that's super small. It's like a minority within a minority, right? Right. Like, and there's two of us right here. So right. I can only <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, so I'm thinking on the larger scale, the organizations, FPA, CAP board, on the, on the smaller scale, the planners that are already in the profession, just identify the next you yeah. and be, just get them in there. I, you know, you kind of talked about your background being from the Dominican Republic, living in New York, your big family, and I always think back to like, oh, how do you get like, if, if I was to convince one of my family members to be a part of the profession or a schoolmate I went to school with. I mean, right. you go to a school that may be majority minorities and how could you change the focus of one of those students to go, oh yeah, I want to be in the same track. I want to be Luis when I grow up. Like, how do you? <laughs> and so it's like, it's, it keeps feeling like you have to start earlier and earlier, but it's like, there's, there's so many layers to it prior to them even knowing what the profession has to offer. That's true. Um, and, and the community base. And so, um, one thing I think is really fascinating, really want to talk about is, you know, you said you're fluent in Spanish and, you know, a lot of people would speak English, right? And so it's like, how does that help with knowing you can communicate to a whole nother group that about what the profession is and what financial planning is? And how, how do you like, you know, go about doing that right now? Because that's so interesting to hear more about. Yeah, that is true. And, you know, it's funny because uh, a lot of the people that speak Spanish and English, yeah. they don't always speak Spanish, but yeah. 
just the fact that you identify with them, like a small little like, hey, que pasa? You know, like the, just yeah. that little introductory, yeah. it kind of creates a connection mm-hmm. and, and it's a good, ent- you know, like a good gateway for, for opening up that conversation about financial planning. So it's very helpful. I feel like people want to do business with people that they, they, they like and also feel comfortable with. And normally that usually ha- happens to be people that are like you, right? Mm-hmm. So... It's kind of like you can't, the, the, the saying that says you can't be what you cannot see. Mm. And now having us in, in these roles, we have to take it upon ourselves to not just be planners. And that's it, leave it at that. Like we have to be advocates for the profession. Because ultimately, like you were saying, some schools are minority majority, right? Yeah. I think that's how the U.S. is going to be like in 2050. Yeah. At some point, it's going to be a majority minority com- <laughs> right? uh, yeah. country. So. <laughs> It's also good for business, right? Because ultimately, these are going to be the clients. <laughs> yeah, so true. Even like who you can work with. It, you talked about like, oh, the young person and the older person, but that also means you can work with different minority yes. groups that aren't getting financial planning. And you found true. a way to, one, still be profitable as a business and help communities that maybe don't have wealth and maybe need more education before they even get to the wealth building part. You know, a lot of people don't have wealth yet, so right. they don't associate money to go, all right, I, I can start actually working with Luis right now. They probably were like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But you know, you're able to come in and be like, one, they see um, this man that's from Dominican Republic, he speaks Spanish, and I, I can relate a little bit differently with that as, I, as a client, you know, but also as someone who may be interested in going into the profession. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, normally even when I then got into the business, I realized that for the most part, even our conferences, when you go like your standard conference, yeah. one of the first questions people ask you is, oh, how much do you have under management? Like, like you're, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you're like yeah. identified, mm-hmm. like your value is based on your AUM, right? It's like yeah. such a, but I love how the industry now has changed with these younger planners mm-hmm. that now it's like, you know what? It, some planners don't even manage money. Yeah, I, I've met some here that they're just straight planners. I'm like, that's that's awesome, you yeah. know, they, because it, it just opens up such a wide range of people you can work with. It, it's unfortunate that not only is this not available as a profession, but it's also not available to the masses. It is, but it's not known yeah. like that, right? Where people look at somebody with a title like wealth management, and yeah, they're not gonna think about, oh yeah, I want to open up a Roth with this guy because. I probably don't have enough money to work with them, right? Yeah. So unfortunately, the advice doesn't get to the people that really need it the most. So true. I mean, and we're here at Next Gen Gathering, and I think it's interesting that a lot of planners, they're coming like to a conference. You know, you get your name badge, you have your name, and underneath it's like where you work, right? right. So you're already getting all these layers on top of you. But it's like, who defi- you know, how do you define yourself within the profession? I think that's what's going on here at this conference, where people yes. get to actually figure out what that is, especially if you're new or career change or wherever you are in the space, you get to define that. Um, you as an ambassador get to help people understand what that is and see what like resonates with people. But I think that that's a huge point that it's like, it's hard being new and being classified yes. under, oh, you're AUM, or you do planning like this, or, you know, and it, it's more of like, how are we making the profession move forward as young planners? And that's what we're doing here at Gathering. Yes, know? and you bring up a good point. It's defining your place. And you can, you know, maybe that place doesn't even exist yet. Yeah. But you have the opportunity to make it. Yeah. And it might be against all odds, 
like Sandra was saying in her speech, people told her that she couldn't be profitable working with uh, lower income people. And, you know, she made it work. It's like you, you can make whatever it is that you want. You want to work with nonprofits, whatever. Like you can design yeah. what it is that you want to do today. So you don't have to be defined by traditional standards of, oh, yeah, I manage this much in assets. Obviously, that's nice. Yeah, of course. <laughs> not, saying, <laughs> not saying not to grow your AUM, but yeah, yeah you, there's so much more to it than that. that yeah. That's one of the things I got out of the investment management business. Uh, uh, you know, people look at me like, what do you mean? Because I still manage money, right? Yeah. But what I mean by that is I'm no longer that guy that it's looking to get like these huge accounts, right? It's, it's kind of like more like I want to help people and investing is just a part of that. But there's so much more to it, right? Yeah. So for those listening out there, just keep that in mind. It's not all about just gathering assets. There's a lot more to it. You can help people that don't have money yet and still have a profitable business. Yeah. Um, one thing I want you to define, because it probably have, connects right to what we're talking about now. I read in an article that you have an approach, a barbell approach with your clients. And I, even me, I was like, what is that word? I've seen that word maybe investing books, but I've never seen it in definition to clients. So could you kind of explain that a little bit? Um, so it probably sounds like it ties right into why you did that transition. Yeah, I think, uh, I guess when you picture a barbell, it's kind of like smaller at the top, right? And then bigger at the bottom. So yeah, it's exactly what we're talking about. So I'm working both ends yeah. of the business where I'm like, okay, I'm working, for example, I do retirement seminars. So I do work with retirees and pre-retirees that are the people who usually have the largest amount of money, right? But I didn't want to shut the door off to working with a young person yeah. that just needs to open up a Roth or something. So that's kind of like where that came from. So I, I think I'm able to structure my business in a sense where I can still do both mm -hmm. and help people and still make money. Because that's always kind of like finding that balance. How do you make money and help people at the same time, right? There's only so many hours you can <laughs> do pro bono or whatever. Right? So. That is true. That is so true. That's so, so, true. so that's what I'm doing. Because when you think about it, you hear articles that say, oh, this is the, the greatest wealth transfer that's going to happen. But people are living longer, too. Yeah. So the person that retired at 60, they might live to 90s. So they might not be transferring any of those assets yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They're so, holding on to it a little longer. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I feel like, all right, I can work with both the, the older generation, the newer generation without necessarily having a specialty per se. Yeah. And that's kind of how I look at that barbell approach. Gotcha. And for your clients, um, do they come, and this might be more focused to the younger end of your barbell, but um, are they coming on and you're doing kind of like um, that entry level, helping them educate and starting to just understand um, wealth and understand what they can be doing right now? Um, are they an ongoing client? Or are they just kind of one time and then we check in? Like, how do you work with them after like that first initial, okay, we've, we've solved or maybe got some things in place to handle right. what you're curious about right now, but how do you make a young person that's in, um, you're working with stay like long-term and keep working That's with a good them? question, yeah. So the, the booster package that I offer is kind of like a one-shot deal. Yeah. We sit down and go over whatever your goals are. And, and then I do have a follow-up, maybe like a month later. Okay. Make sure everything got implemented. And then you're yeah. on your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, they said they but, wanted to maybe do it on their own. They were looking for some guidance. Yeah, then they could become a, a full planning client. But one of the things I've noticed, going back to the tax preparation, it's like, okay, if you do, say, the booster package, I help you figure out 
how much life insurance you need or if you need life insurance and your 401k elections and, and all that good stuff, right? Do a budget. If you stay on, maybe, maybe I'll do your taxes and, and, and you're not a full planning client yet, but you probably don't need the full plan yet because we already did your budget and you already kind of are on a path to get out of debt. But then if you pay me for taxes, we could always have this little side conversation. I'm not going to like bill them by the minute or anything, yeah. you know? <laughs> so we still have somewhat of a working relationship. And then I build off of that. So it's like, all right, maybe you become a tax client after that. And, and now you, we have a relationship. So you could still ask me questions yeah. related to the budget we did five months ago. Yeah. And, and it's still affordable. Yeah. Because you got to pay somebody for your taxes anyway, right? So Yeah. You're like, well, here I am. Here you know? I am. <laughs> Another added value. I'm telling you, it's coming up a lot. The right. EA is seeming to come up a lot as far as the profession goes. So we're here at Gathering, and I know this is your first year yes. um, attending. So far, like, what were you maybe thinking you were walking into, or what is your maybe first impression about NextGen and what? that community is about? Very good question. You know, one thing that I realized this morning was Sandra asked, what do you expect to get out of this? And I had not given that thought. It was more like, okay, I'm an ambassador. I'm going to go there to give <laughs> of myself, right? Answer yeah. questions and be there for people. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, you know, you can learn here too. So this is for everybody. It's not just one-way thing like I can learn from the younger advisors as well so that's that was my big takeaway this morning yeah. was that I was expecting to just come here and and give right and yeah. then it was like oh no this is like a gathering of you know thought and different things and what are, what are you doing that's working and you just hear so many different ideas yeah and that was amazing to me so I'm really excited about and this is just this morning like I know we haven't even gotten yeah. through the first day yet <laughs> I was still eating breakfast I was like wow this is amazing yeah and, and you know I see a lot of people continuing to say that they met so many like best friends here mm -hmm. or people that shaped like their path going forward yeah and I could see why like you said I was just here to show up and I wasn't knowing what I was gonna get out of it especially with gathering up and as an ambassador um, what are you, you said you were here to at, at first think about what was it that you wanted to give. What were some of the things you wanted to make sure you came here and told some of the students or um, some of the new next gen or just people who are in the profession already? Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to share was, like for example, I'm doing the, the breakout session on working with self-employed clients. And funny, again, the EA stuff comes right back in. <laughs> because yeah. just to consider, for example, the self-employed individuals that get 1099s or they're freelancers or whatever are in need of a lot of planning. Yeah. And I think you can bring a lot of value to that. So that's one of the things that I'll be sharing in, in terms of the session. I'm also going to be in a diversity panel. Yeah. And the things that I wanted to share was kind of like what we were talking about before, where it was like, you know, don't let the industry define you. Mm. You, can, you can find your place. If it doesn't exist, you can make it. Yeah. There are ways where, you know, you may not want to go on your own right away. Yeah, maybe it is good for, for you to work for a company for a couple of years and learn how the business works. And then, and then you can go on your own. Yeah. But that, that was kind of like what I was thinking about. It's like you can find your own place and also help carry that torch, too. If, if you are in a place where you can help somebody else that perhaps doesn't have an idea as to what their path should be, you might be able to help out, too. So 
going back to what we were talking about earlier, just identifying like the next. So I have kind of like my eye out for, all right, <laughs> who's going to be the, the next young advisor to watch? Yeah, you know? <laughs> right. I like it. Like, yeah, let me, let me talk to him or her and, and see if I can put them on that path, you know? Yeah. Just be like that person to help get them to take that first step right. and like basically put your hands underneath their foot and they kind of catapult. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that, that's so true. I mean, I think, you know, especially for next gen, you, you come and you're not sure what you're going to get out of it, but you know, um, just being in the space that, you know, you're, something will come from it, the conversation that right. you can go back and actually act on. And this year's um, theme is take action. So it's a lot of people having conversations and ideas, but it's also, what can I go leave here today with? And that could be very simple. Oh, I met Luis. He was amazing. I want him to be my mentor. Or, or right. I leave here wanting to make sure I keep the conversation going or, or learning that I need to go get my EA or right. see if I have an interest in tax planning. You know, So I think that that's something that really comes out of gathering um, each year, especially with the participants. But I really like that the ambassadors are here to provide that insight and help where they see it. Like, oh, I was there 10 years ago. Let me let me kind of right. help you <laughs> or let me give you some like knowledge. So that way, when you see this come up, you can totally avoid it. Right. right. Um, that's where I feel like the passing of the torches and passing of the wisdom happens is how can you help someone else avoid the, the, the hiccups you may yes. have came across? And that's huge. Because, yeah, one of those hiccups can set you back for a bit. If somebody else already made that mishap and they can tell you, oh, no, go this way instead. Yeah. So definitely be open-minded mm -hmm. because you can learn from somebody. And again, even us, right, as ambassadors, I ask questions and I can learn from a young person too. So it's a two-way street. So definitely. <laughs> totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> I come across, and not very often, other uh, male minorities mm -hmm. in the profession. Um, and there's one level of, there's not a lot of minorities, but there's another level of not a lot of mailmen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, and so I'm always curious, like, how did you navigate um, the profession when, it, when you had all those barriers? And, right. and who was out there looking out for Luis? Like, um, you know, where did you lean on or who did you lean on to help you get through that? That's, yeah, that's good. It, at the beginning, yeah, you, you have kind of like the feeling of out of place, especially when you go to these conferences, right? Mm -hmm. It's the, the typical, yeah, and, and the, this is the, the, the stats that you see, right? The, your average advisor is like a 50-year-old white male, right? Yeah. So there's definitely a lack of younger people, women, African-American, blacks, Asians, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, up, up until recently, I, I leaned on uh, Rita Cheng. Okay. Uh, I reached out to her. She had shared an article on Twitter, and I retweeted it, and then she reached out to me, like, oh, thank you for sharing my article, and then let's talk, you know, I want to hear more about your story, and, and that ended up creating a great relationship and also opening up avenues, like being here, for example. That's how I got invited. So definitely, for those listening, don't, don't be afraid to reach out to somebody, even if you haven't met them. Yeah. Something as simple as me having shared somebody's article yeah. ended up in me being here as an ambassador. Yeah. So those listening out there, reach out to somebody. I, I feel like mentorship is such a strong thing that that could be another way for us to, you know, like you're saying, just help somebody push up. And don't be afraid. Just go talk to somebody that you normally wouldn't, 
you never know, right? If you don't ask, you, the answer is definitely no. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. I know um, but right before we left the breakout session, Sandra, she had mentioned, make sure you talk to somebody you would have originally walked right up to, but also talk to that person that you probably looked and avoided. Like, right. go to that person, and because there's, there's the breakthrough right there of definitely. why you wanted to communicate. But I think Twitter's a good space for a lot of people to meet people who aren't in your normal circles that are a part of the profession. Um, you know, I've shared with other people like, oh, I follow Luis. I know a lot about him, but then I'm like, I haven't met him in person before, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so the reach out process and um, being okay to like communicate with a new person um, that you feel like you can hear or learn from them is huge, um, especially for a next-gen orational planner or anybody in any profession, yes. to be totally honest with you. Yeah, and I would say follow other planners too, because sometimes you go to these like network events and if you find somebody that's in your same profession, then you kind of like, a lot of people are like, okay, well, they're my competition. I'm just going to avoid them altogether. Yeah. Right? Uh, but this is definitely not the vibe here. Yeah. And, and I feel like that is super helpful because you, you just never know who you might meet or get introduced to mm -hmm. that normally you would not approach because, oh, they're, they do the same thing I do. So I don't want to approach them. They're my competition kind of thing. And yeah. it's not like that. I mean, I've gotten opportunities to like work with a different firm, for example, because I was friends with a planner, you know, so... Yeah. That everybody has their own pie. It's kind of like, just because your slice got bigger, mine doesn't get smaller. Yeah. Oh, so true. So true. <laughs> and one thing you pointed out, like, we gravitate to people within our profession. Um, what makes you really, like, gravitate to the profession? I know you kind of started in in a very unique way, but what makes you keep going, like, I am extremely passionate about this profession. I keep wanting to wake up and still go at it every day. Yeah, I, one of the, my drivers is, I, I still feel like there's such a huge lack of financial literacy in general. Yeah. So in my case, I didn't learn it in school or at home. Most people, as far as I'm concerned, they still don't learn it in school. Mm -hmm. right? I don't think we, uh, maybe some schools do, I'm sure, but it's not like a well-known thing. Like everybody had gym and health class, right? Yeah. There's no like financial literacy class. And so you graduate college, you know, you have a ton of debt, and you don't even know how to balance a checkbook, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let alone, right, 401ks and all this stuff. So my driver is we, we need to get this information out there to, to everybody. Yeah. And I'm only one person, but I feel like I can put my drop in the bucket, right? And, and if everybody does the same thing, eventually we'll get it full. So that, that's my driver there. The financial issue. Raising that awareness. Yeah, the, more from an educational standpoint. Yeah. For sure. Have you ever thought, this is now me putting something on you, but you said education. Have you ever thought of teaching the, you know, the next generation in profession <laughs> or, uh, or going out and, because I know your, your real work is financial planning and working with clients, but you know, that also is like a whole nother, uh, financial literacy is a whole nother spectrum too. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a whole nother world. I've, I've thought about it. Yeah, maybe one day I'll be like an adjunct professor. Ah, uh, right. You'll be up there. You'll be a host. You'll get promoted from ambassador. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, it's totally what Sandra had mentioned today. It's like, I'm the best adjunct professor you know. Yeah. But, I mean, it, no matter what space you're in, you can always educate someone. You always have a little bit of knowledge that someone else doesn't that you can totally commu communicate to them. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, financial literacy 
it, it is a huge lack or some people it, it's crazy don't think they, they don't believe in it you know right. um you know because it's just too many of us how can we possibly make a difference if i go talk to that one group for an hour right. that that would change their kind of trajectory about how they deal with money absolutely um but it's ongoing yes it's ongoing and it's and it's affects a wide range of people so it's not so a lot of people think because somebody has money that they're financially savvy not necessarily either so yeah. don't be intimidated by that yeah. so if, if you know if you're a young planner and you're working with an older person and they have money it doesn't mean that they know a whole bunch about money just because they have it true so you're still educating even at that level <laughs> yeah yeah like well, no assumptions make no assumptions when right. you're working with someone that's totally true right um i wanted to once again, thank you again, Luis. But I wanted to see if there is anything else that you wanted to share with us that we need to know about Luis or that uh, you wanted to share that people should go out and start doing, take action on, or just in the space of the profession. Going back to what we're talking about, so for, for planners that are of minority, that are already in the business, identify the next you. It's, it's kind of like my theme right now. <laughs> it's like, so for example, and I, what I mean by that is I was in a financial advisor magazine. Uh, I think they call it the young and the bold. It was the 10 young advisors to watch. Yeah. So yeah, I have my eye out. Like who am I going to get on that list next year? Yeah. And, and so it's kind of like each one, reach one, each one, teach one. Yeah. It's, it's what I would want to leave with everybody else in the profession. And the second thing is, again, just don't be afraid to reach out to anybody, whether it's somebody that might you want for them to mentor you, anything like that, even if you never met them, write them a letter, you know, yeah. maybe, uh, yeah, do it differently, like write them a physical letter, mail it. <laughs> right? Well, you, be, be careful what you ask for, you're going to have all this mail when you get back. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, all right, I heard Luis wants me to write them a letter. <laughs> you're going to find the next one. You're going to have a whole lot of them right. to from. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, because yeah, it, it's, uh, it's such a wide gap when you look at the numbers of mm -hmm. everything, right? Even um, well, women are like about 22%, I believe, right, Something in the business. There, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that's, it's too small a number, so we need more. Yeah, so true, so true. Thanks again, Louise. Thank you. I want to this say we are going to enjoy the rest of the gathering, but I just wanted to thank you so much again for coming I appreciate on it. Thank you. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.